judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) Did you make that face? I don't know. I don't know. I just had like an instinct to ask you how you are. Yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate that. I think that's that's what people do, right? When they see each other. How are you? What's up? Like, I'm good. How are you? No, I'm I'm good. I've I've spent a week home by myself, chilling, relaxing, having my own space for a change, and uh Sean will be coming home later today, so. Nice. Have you been, dun, 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 like, what is that movie called? I don't know what is happening. Dun, 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 dun. With Tom Cruise, where he, like, oh. slides across the floor. Risky business. <laughs> yes. Well, um, listeners, you don't necessarily know what my apartment looks like, but there's really no you risky business ha- spot. <laughs> oh, excuse me. You have the perfect, I'm looking at the perfect hallway. You would slide in and open into frame. Oh, okay. Yeah. It would be, she's lying. She's been risky business, businessing all week. All week. I I love this because now when Sean goes to edit, he'll be like, oh, excuse me, what's been happening? Can you do this? Can you recreate this for me? Get your tube socks. Get your, your men's shirt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like that is such an old rep. Like, I just revealed myself as like the oldest person in the world That's which is funny reference. because that movie was old even when you probably got around to watching it I've right never even seen oh. <laughs> i just know that's what you do when you're home alone or you shave your face and scream and yeah. protect your house from burglars those are the two things you do when you're home alone sorry adjusting the sound recording in person always takes like readjusting things because we start yelling because i got we excited, get excited about risky and- business I'd rather you get excited than be like, hello, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, my God. Like a like a gentle NPR. Yeah. <laughs> Today, we'll be discussing cabbages. <laughs> cabbages? NPR gets weird sometimes. They have, like, a lot of different shows, so. They do. But, yeah. like, I, I bet you there's one on cabbages. I wouldn't doubt it. Like, I would not take that bet because I'm sure somebody covered something. As long as we're the boring podcast now talking about cabbages. What we should be talking about is the awesome things that happen in May. Because this comes out in May. It does. Wait, backtrack. Okay. I have this other podcast that I listen to, and they're comedians, so they travel a lot. So they're always like, they use this phrase, uh, they're in the the time machine. Because they're like, this comes out in two months, guys. Like, So no one knows, like anything so like they don't want to talk about like current things because it's like what's happening so usually they talk about things that happened like two or three months ago and gotcha. i'm usually into it because they've got a big backlog so i'm like sometimes i listen to something that they've posted like a year ago and then sometimes I listen to a new thing and it's like i don't know where you are anyway so it's totally fine mm-hmm. but like we're gonna be in that time machine yes because yeah. i'm like this is may but it's april yes. 23rd right now everyone <laughs> so like i'm doing a bunch of traveling you were doing. You were doing traveling. No, I'm not. I'm not traveling any longer. But um, it is the end of the semester. It's always yes. a very busy time for me. So uh, that's something. So we're gonna be in the time machine. So like, yeah, we're recording basically all of our May episodes today. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, there's no. We're we're not even trying to pretend because I was like, I can't. Like, I was like, well, what if we talk about things that we think might happen in the future? <laughs> Like, oh, so on my birthday, I did X, Y, and yes. Z. And it's like, I don't even know what I'm going to do. What, yeah. A- happy belated birthday. Oh, thank you. In, in <laughs> the airing of this episode. Yeah. It's next Saturday. Why are we not doing something? I don't know. I'm not sure what I want to do. I kind of want to go see Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Mm. And I was going to go Wednesday. They had an early screening this past Wednesday that I was thinking of going to by mm-hmm. myself. But... Then I was like, oh, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go anywhere. So I didn't. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe do that. Maybe go to the garden. Oh, I, yeah. We did that last year for your birthday, the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. Yes. That was really nice. Yeah. Until I had a little allergic reaction to something. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't good. <laughs> the beginning of the day was good. 
<laughs> it was. Yeah, we had a nice brunch. It was mm-hmm. you and me, Naomi, Theo, and Sean. It was mm-hmm. Sean's first brunch. Oh, yeah. Because his last day of work had been on my birthday mm-hmm. last year. And we went for brunch like two days later or something. So that was the first time he didn't have to work on a on a weekend day yeah. and he could go to a brunch. So, but I feel like, I feel like we disappointed him because like a proper brunch for me, someone's drunk. At least someone cannot walk or we had to go to another bar to continue drinking because they were like, you gotta go. I feel like that's brunch in your twenties, but like no. brunch in your thirties and forties. Eh. I'm listen, I'm in my thirties and I say that that's how brunch goes. <laughs> I'm in my forties and I say, no thanks. <laughs> I think for my birthday, I want to do a brunch. Okay. And everybody has to get drunk at it. That's the rules. That's not the rules. That seems mean. So other important things that are happening in May, besides my birthday, your belated birthday, and this episode being released, um, it is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Yes. Yes, Yes. it is. Which, what does that mean for everyone? Go spend your money with Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) absolutely. Um, You know, try and learn about them, get Mm -hmm. some content, some background on uh, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders. Uh, for our podcast, we're going to be covering Asian women this month. And, you know, we figured that was sort of like the least we could do yeah. in terms of that, since neither of us are Asian uh, American or Pacific Islander. <laughs> You're not? Surprise. What's this all been about? <laughs> no, and I'm going to go through, um, I'm going to post some stuff on the Instagram and I'll send it to you to do it on Twitter. Yeah. Maybe I'll make a book list. I'll find a book list. There's a really Ooh, yeah, cool... yeah, great idea. There's a, a female Asian-owned book, bookstore in Manhattan that I follow. And they're always posting, like, the coolest events. And I'm like, we should go. And I started posting stuff to, like, our Instagram. And I was like, how many people actually live in the city that could go to this? But I was like, you need to know about it. This seems like a cool event. But, like, their bookstore is really well, cool. Yeah. So I'll spam them on our, on our page. And for any of you listening, you know, if you know events where you're located, oh, send yeah. them to us. And we're happy to share them. Yeah. We, you know, we love sharing events beyond New York. Mm-hmm. It's just that's what we get exposed to the most here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I thought I had to transition and then I lost it. Was the transition you clearing your throat because you're ill? I'm not ill. I promise. (laughs) I'm not ill. Even though the 8,000 doctor's appointments I've had uh, in the last couple of weeks may seem (laughs) to contradict that. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. I went for my physical, which of course I haven't done since before the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. um, it was like all the blood tests and all of this and that. And I got a bunch of referrals. My insurance is an HMO, so it requires referrals from your primary care. So I was like, hi, I'd like a referral for this, for this, for this. (laughs) So she did all the blood tests and stuff. And one of the issues was I had low B12. I don't know what that is. It's a vitamin. I don't know. I don't know. But like, where do you get it? How do you how do you gain B12? Do you just take B12 Um, or is it in foods? It's in foods. And I think it's definitely like meat is one of the. Uh, things and since i don't eat a lot of the meat, perils but, of living with a vegetarian uh come to my house we'll foods get B12. you some steak uh but it's not just that it's like eggs fish dairy oh. um like that sort of thing yeah so i think that's that was a big part of it so i had to go actually get b12 shots oh jeez. um so she gave me five of those and once i get the last one then i can just like take a supplement and that will be fine. Hmm. Um, also, low vitamin D, which I think is true of everyone in New York. Yeah. Well, it's getting nicer out. So I feel like the summers is when we all get it. Well, yeah. And also, we just had this whole pandemic where everybody was like staying inside a lot. Not and, everybody. Well. <laughs> but yes. knew <laughs> what you mean. Yeah. We um, were. So I, she's got me on like a, a bonus supplement of that. Then I had... I have these like weird patches on my eyelids. Mm -hmm. I think I showed you last time. Yes. Um, And I was worried about them because my dad has them and he said they were connected to high cholesterol and or diabetes, which he has both. Boy. And my blood test came back saying like, nope, you're good. Your cholesterol is amazing. Again, mostly vegetarian diet. Mm -hmm. 
not shocking there. Not diabetic either. Good. So I was like, well, let's go to the ophthalmologist and have them look at it. So it's just like been appointment after appointment. It's like every other day I'm like checking in because the hospital has an app. Is it my chart? Yeah, I think it's something like that. (laughs) And everything is connected and it's like, ah, log in. Plus I did finally get therapy. So Mm -hmm. like that's on that and I have to check in each week for that. I just feel like this past week I had like, like on Friday, I literally had therapy from nine to 10, the ophthalmologist from 11 to 11.45, and then an MRI from 12.30 until one. I feel like that's how you have to do it. So I have, I had to take the day off from work because like doctors don't work on weekends or after five, apparently. So I had to take the day off from work. So like next, next Tuesday, I'm doing, I have an appointment with like an iron doctor because like my iron levels are like super low. And like, I think there might be an IV transfusion in my future for that, which fine. Cause like I get dizzy and I'm just like, what's wrong with me? And it's like, Oh, my iron levels are terrible. So I have the iron doctor and then I have the eye doctor and then I have the dentist, like all loaded from yeah. like, no, that's what I'm doing. Instead of working, I'm going all around and it's like upper West side, downtown Brooklyn, Greenpoint. Like I'm just like all over the place well, in one exactly. day. It's frustrating doctors. And Could was, you do one late day? <laughs> when you live in New York and you're not, you're not taking cars here, so there, expensive. and everywhere because yeah. it is expensive. Um, like my eye appointment, at first they didn't have the hip referral that they needed to have. And mm-hmm. so I was afraid that the appointment was going to get delayed. And I was like, I was supposed to be at the hospital for 12 o'clock for my MRI, even though it wasn't until 1230, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And it was like at l- it was like a 20 to 25-minute walk away but also not really conducive to trains or or buses. So (laughs) I like left at um, 1140 and I got to the hospital at like seven past. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't, I wasn't super late and they mostly just wanted you there so you could fill out the paperwork, which I could not do because the eye doctor had dilated my pupils so <laughs> I couldn't see shit. Oh my god. And this poor woman had to go through the whole list of like, do you have this? Do you have that? And like cuz I was like, I'm sorry, I'm going to need you to read this to me. <laughs> I can't focus like my I eyes. I would have been like, I need you to reschedule your appointment. I <laughs> cannot do this. Honestly, like it's really hit or miss. Like sometimes like nurses and doctors office are like if you ask them for a pen, you're asking them for like their kidneys. Like yeah. they they're done with you and other ones are like oh my god let me take your shoes off do you like like, they're so there's no in between like they're either goddesses or they hate you yeah and you're making their life worse i'm really glad you got like a goddess who was like don't worry about it she definitely like i got the vibe that i was inconveniencing her but she was also very nice about Mm -hmm. it and then i kept apologizing and being like very gracious throughout and she's like, at that point, she turned to like, don't worry about it. Like once she realized I wasn't just like a jerk who wanted her to I don't to like fill it to out. hold pens. You <laughs> fill it out for me. Right? <laughs> anyway. I'm going to try that. That's a power move. <laughs> just be like, um, I'm so sorry. I don't like to read forms. It's just like a pet peeve of mine. Could you just read it to me and I'll answer the question? No, but I like really couldn't. I was like. <laughs> holding it and moving it back and forth trying no to no one can to see you but it looks like you were reading a, a book on a boat like it was just like waves the way you were moving your face and your hand oh my god that's how that. it felt and then i got home and i had such a headache because when your pupils are dilated right so they they're huge mm-hmm. which means they're letting in all this light oh geez and yesterday was one of the sunniest days we've had in a while <laughs> and even though my glasses turned to sunglasses i was like squinting the whole walk to the hospital oh my god then i get in the mri machine i'm like okay at least i can close my eyes and let them those relax. machines are nightmares but they're so fucking loud yeah so then you've got the noise i came home and i was like i'm gonna take a nap right now and i'm not a nap person <laughs> i was I like i'll naps. just lay here and I can't read my book because I still couldn't focus fully. <laughs> I'll just lay here and recover from what the day has done to me. I put an audio book on and I was like, okay, this way I can, like, cause even TV at that point, I was like, I can't. It's too bright probably. I yeah. just couldn't. Oh, you can't even see it. It's all blurred. Oh, it was geez. blurry. <laughs> I was a mess, but it's fine. Oh God, that I have an audio book that expires literally today. Oh no. I know. I'm so close to finishing it. 
It's gonna, and there I'm are sticklers looking. for the time. Yeah, it's that's like you I'm checked checking. it out at nine oh two a.m. It will return. Three hours. It. This book is over. I'm ninety three percent done. Oh no. <sighs> well, put it on hold now. I can't because there's a wait list. So it's a four week. I'm on the wait list again. It's oh, okay. four weeks. Okay. So I'm gonna remember in four weeks what happened in this book. But sometimes what happens with the audiobooks, and I do this, like if I get one and mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of listening to one and I'm not sure if I'll get to it in time, I just delay the the renewal. And so maybe you'll get pushed up. Maybe because I did list. delay getting this one a bunch. So now that I'm like so close to finishing three hours, that's so mean. I listened to it a lot yesterday, but not enough. Not enough. It's good, though. It's the first book. So wait, now that I'm talking about it, it's the first book that I've like been able to stomach. I've been like not listening to books. Oh, I can't say this person's last name. It's called Saint X by Alexis Chitakin. Okay. S-C-H-A-I-T-K-I-N. Sure. Saint X. Is a, it's about like a kind of like a murder mystery on an island. It's very, very good. And I'm not going to finish it. I'm sorry for you. That's sad. Listen, we're going to pause this podcast so I can finish listening to this book. <laughs> I, have three hours. I have like 40 minutes left. I'm so mad at myself. Anyway, Did that's you, not you what You listened to it on the train, I yes. assume? <laughs> and then I walked really slow to get here. Because <laughs> I was like, I know it expires today, but I have time. But I didn't realize how little time I had. Yeah. Ugh. I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode so they can't take it. They can't take it if I can't connect to it, right? I don't know. I don't know how that works. Try it. I mean, it can't hurt to try. No one tried to text me. Well, gonna... another thing that might help us is if we like moved along with these recordings. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> we could... Talking about what I don't have time to do <laughs> while we should be recording the podcast. Because today we'll be discussing the Nobel Peace Prize winning Pakistani education activist Malala Yousafzai. We'll consider how she was perceived and treated by Taliban terrorists in her own country and how she ended up in the UK. Then we look at the reason she fought for education and how she continues to do so today. Finally, we explore where she is now with her life, controversial opinions on choices she's made, and the impact she's had on education and culture in Pakistan and beyond. Just a trigger warning for gun violence. Malala Yousafzai was born on July 12, 1997, in the Swat district of Pakistan. She is the oldest and only girl of three children. Her parents, Zayuddin Yousafzai and Tor Pakai Yousafzai, did not have a lot of money. Her father is a writer and an educator. And her father was the one to educate Yousafzai. He ran a group of private schools and instilled the importance of learning in all of his children. So when Malala was born, the culture around women and girls wasn't ideal. Women weren't really celebrated. Pakistan would not be the first or the last place that would see girl babies as inferior. So we're not singling them out. We're just setting the environment. Mm -hmm. So according to Malala, welcoming a baby girl is not always a cause for celebration in Pakistan. But my father, Zayuddin Yousafzai, was determined to give me every opportunity a boy would have. Her dad understood how important education was and didn't want her to lose out on that just because of her sex. This was not new. Her dad often spoke out about political issues, one of them being education for women and girls. It sounds cool, right? Yeah. No, no. There were people who disagreed with the whole concept of women doing anything outside of their household. Enter the Taliban. They'd been around, but they were starting to rise to power in the late 90s. The Taliban is a militant political movement in Afghanistan. They have very specific views on where women and young girls should be within the society. The answer, at home. Not part of any political, education, or medical systems. Cut to 2008. Yusuf Sai is 11 years old. The Taliban has come out in full force, and they're demanding an end to women's education. Malala is educated with dreams of becoming a doctor. However, her father was hoping to guide her into politics. Yusuf Zai started speaking about education rights in September 2008. She's, again, 11 years old. She was inspired when her father took her to a local press meeting. We think the idea was to show people the damage that Taliban uh, could do by letting the oppressed speak for themselves, like speak out Mm -hmm. against what the Taliban was doing. So that same year, the BBC, a.k.a. the British Broadcasting Company, were doing a story about Taliban's growing influence and were looking to speak to girls whose schooling was being affected. Due to the Taliban's very violent nature, the BBC didn't get many volunteers to discuss what was quickly becoming a forbidden task. Yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah, like no one's signing up. They're afraid. 
Uh, Yusuf Sai's father suggested his own daughter write anonymously for a blog on the BBC's website. She agreed as things were getting worse. Their small town was now fully occupied by Taliban militants. They had banned the playing of music, TV, and girls' education. Women were all prohibited from going shopping alone. The press were covering the violence that was happening in the streets as the local police tried to fight back. But Malala's anonymous blog was one of the only voices coming from the inside, showing what life was like for regular people under Taliban rule. I think that's really important to acknowledge there, right, that it was coming from the inside. It was coming from someone who is living it and experiencing Mm -hmm. it, not an outsider putting their own beliefs and perspectives onto a different culture yeah. or even like the police force within their systems. Like yeah. it's their job to deal with these people. Like this girl's just trying to go to school and mm-hmm. like live her life. Like her perspective is, is going to be very different from like a cop's perspective. Yeah, totally. Many girls only schools were targeted at this time and destroyed, leaving Malala and her classmates afraid of even trying to go to school. The attendance numbers dropped. In her blog, she notes that at one point, her school of 700 dropped to 70 students. And by early January, all girls-only schools were forced to close. Some of the boys' schools also closed in solidarity. By February of 2009, all schools were reopened as peace talks started with the Taliban. This was short-lived as peace talks fell apart and violence broke out. The Yousafzai family was forced to leave their home. Malala's father went with the group to Peshawar, a bigger city nearby. They were looking to protest, also to gain support and allies. Malala and the rest of the family went to stay with relatives outside of the fighting zone. By July of the same year, the Yousafzai family reunited. Before moving back to their home, they first met with a group of activists who were in talks with U.S. representatives looking to help. One of them being the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State, Richard Holbrook. 12-year-old Malala begged him for U.S. aid, saying, Respected Ambassador, if you can help us in our education, please help us. This was the big start of Malala being front and center as an activist. She would go on to be interviewed by many international outlets, ultimately becoming the face of the fight for female education. While doing so many interviews, it was revealed that she was the girl behind the BBC blog post. Malala was asked to be the chair of the District Child Assembly of the Kapal Kaur Foundation from 2009 to 2010. In 2011, yes. Yeah? Yeah. 2011. I, I <laughs> <laughs> well, we transition from 2000-something yeah. to 20-something here. Also, it feels like, why are we talking about that? That was like last week. And it's like, oh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It so wasn't. It was 12 years We're ago. so old. When, when you're like, when in 2008, she was 11, I was like, that's when I like was supposed to graduate college. <laughs> And like, I didn't because I fucked up. But like, that doesn't feel like that long ago. But like, she was like a child. That's the year I got my master's degree. (laughs) Let's go on a brunch aggressively. And she was like doing actual things. Yeah. In 2011, Bishman Desmond Tutu, a well-known activist himself, nominated Yousef Sai for the International Children's Peace Prize. She didn't win, but the nomination did bring more eyes to her cause. All the appearances also brought some unwanted attention. Some weren't so excited about her trying to make change. It's not surprising that we're seeing this unwanted attention because she is speaking up about something that is so um, condemned Mm -hmm. by this political faction right this these zealots Mm -hmm, if you will and so it's like it's risky for someone like her to even be nominated for a prize like this Mm -hmm. because it brings attention to her that puts her life at risk well i mean we're gonna get into that yeah but i don't (laughs) think desmond tutu was like this is gonna do it you know Oh yeah no i mean i don't think it was malicious and i think she rightly deserved the nomination Mm -hmm. but it is scary to like be that voice who speaks out because it does put you at risk and have someone hate you so much for it yeah yeah as we said before malala was everywhere pointing out the evils of the taliban she and her family began to receive numerous death threats During a meeting in 2012, the Taliban took a vote and started to make plans to kill this 14-year-old girl. Like Like you do. Literally had a meeting to murder a child. Do you think they had like roll call and like croissants and coffee and then like sat down to take this vote? Like 
Because it seems so uncivilized and insane. Like, yeah. they must have just been, like, grunting and pointing at a picture, right? Like, I just... They're an organization that was, like, 14-year-old, talking too much, get rid of her. Like, that seems... Right? According to spokesmen for the Taliban, they say when Malala ignored the death threats, they were forced to put a hit out on her. Oh, okay. <laughs> Despite the tribal code forbidding the killing of women, she gave them no choice. And this is... Uh, a spokesman for the SWAT Taliban said, we had no intentions to kill her, but we were forced when she would not stop speaking against us. What? It's so annoying that they had like a spokesperson. Well, and that we, we weren't going to kill her, but then she said she gave something us about no choice. it. Like, yeah. yeah, she gave us no choice. We had to. We threatened her life so she would shut up and stop trying to have rights as a human being. She just wanted to have rights. How dare. How dare she? <laughs> so I'm so angry. <laughs> so Malala was aware of the death threats, but as time passed, she didn't fear them. When the Taliban announced that girls could no longer be educated, Mr. Yousafzai, along with a team of dedicated teachers, kept the school running on the quiet. On October 9th, 2012, a Taliban gunman shot Yousafzai while she rode the bus home from school. According to reports, a masked gunman shouted, which one of you is Malala? Speak up, otherwise I will shoot you all. Yousafzai was shot once in the face. The bullet entered her near the left eye and traveled down towards her neck, lodging in her shoulder. She was riding with two friends who were also injured, Kainat Riaz and Shazia Ramzan. Shazia was shot in the shoulder and hand. Kainat was shot in the shoulder as well. Yousafzai was airlifted to a military hospital in Peshawar, where doctors performed a five-hour operation to remove the bullet. She was then moved to a hospital in Germany where she could receive the best medical treatment, as the surgery had caused spinal and brain damage. People were outraged and looking to help, especially in the medical community. Offers to treat Yousafzai came from every corner of the world. On October 15th, a comatose Malala traveled to the United Kingdom for further treatment. She finally woke up on October 17th, but wouldn't be released from the hospital until January of the following year. Wow. Right? Like, that's how much damage was done. The road to recovery was still a long one. Malala had to have numerous smaller surgeries, including a six-hour long one to reconstruct her skull and install a cochlear implant, which is like a hearing aid that, like, is right. installed into your head. Yes. Yeah. By March of 2013, Malala was back in school. She took her summer break to travel and speak to important political figures. She spoke before the United Nations, Queen Elizabeth II. She spoke at Oxford and Harvard universities. And in October, she met with President Barack Obama of the United States and his family. Malala spent her time between school and speaking arrangements. After the shooting, she didn't go back to her homeland. Instead, she attended an all-girls high school in Birmingham, England, not Alabama. No, not Alabama. England. Not Alabama. We would have never heard from her again if she went to fucking Alabama. <laughs> then she went on to study at Oxford University. She graduated in 2020 with a Bachelor of Arts degree in philosophy, politics, and economics. In 2021, she started a production company called Extracurricular. Malala spoke to Vanity Fair magazine about this change and the reasoning behind it, saying... I feel like I'm an activist and a storyteller. I've been doing activism for more than a decade now, and I've realized that we shouldn't limit activism to the work of NGOs, that is, non-governmental organizations, only. There's also the element of changing people's minds and perspectives, and that requires a bit more work. That same year, Malala married Asir Malik, a manager for the Pakistani, for Pakistani Cricket Board. I just realized that that was the game and not like animals. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, he works with animals. That's really sweet. No. No, it's the sport. It's the sport. <laughs> it's the sport. I love when that happens. Wait, there was something the other day. Oh, I can't think of what it was now, but it was a very similar mm -hmm. situation where whatever was said was like, Oh, you mean that kind? <laughs> I, I wrote this. I was just like, oh, he works with animals. Like, I wonder how much do they do for crickets? Didn't even like... Save the crickets. Save the crickets. <laughs> Those Pakistani crickets. <laughs> wow. Because cricket's huge everywhere else. Like, America, not so much. But like, it's like one of the biggest sports, like literally everywhere else. Is it? I mean... According I to only... my husband, yes. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like 
It happens in England and then like British colonies. Well, yeah, like all the Caribbean nations too are very well, I big guess on cricket. Because they're all yeah. British colonies. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the British, the British colonization uh, is far-reaching. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Ooh. the two of them live in London. Um, where she still makes speaking appearances and is actively working on a slate of dramas, children's series, and animation and other documentaries with Apple TV+. Let's dig in a little bit deeper to to her big reputation, if you will. So it feels like if the Taliban is trying to take you out, that you're probably doing something right. Like, nothing says we hate women like a political assassination temp, uh, attempt on a 14-year-old. Yeah. Right? Because she's literally a child. She's a child. Like, it's not like, oh, this mouthy bitch. Like, she's a child that they were like, nope, too much from you. So the world was outraged. We were outraged. Everybody was pissed off. The Pakistani president at the time, Azif Ali Zadari, described the shooting as an attack on civilized people. The other governmental officials around the world came forward to condemn the attack as well. Our president at the time, Barack Obama, said that it was a reprehensible, disgusting, and tragic. Actress Angelina Jolie was so shocked and touched by the attack, she wrote an op-ed piece about the event, what Malala was trying to do, and why the Taliban tried to stop her to her own children. The article brought more eyes to the story and gave parents the language to talk to younger children about such a violent topic. Jolie later donated $200,000 to the Malala Fund. Former First Lady Laura Bush also wrote an op-ed piece. Hers was for the Washington Post. She compared Yousafzai to Anne Frank and implored other people implored people to donate and not to take their education lightly. And that's that's really interesting to me, you know, like comparing someone to Anne Frank is that's a pretty big deal in mm-hmm. my book. But I don't think she's off base here, right? That With the diary. There is a lot of parallels in the oppression of a young girl just trying to live her life Mm -hmm. as a young girl, right? It seems that the Taliban's attack did exactly the opposite of what they hoped for. Uh, Pakistanis rallied to embrace Malala's principles and put their foot down. She influenced changes in her country, and we'll come back to how she did this in the next section. But first, let's talk about her haters. There were some extremist parties in Pakistan that had had some conspiracy theories. Like, it's kind of comforting to know that America isn't the only one saddled with, like, QAnon crazy types. Is it? Or or is it, like, sad that they exist all over? I feel like it's comforting because it's, like... So many people punch down on America because, I mean, rightfully so. It's kind of terrible here. Like, there's a lot of things that are terrible that are it me (laughs) it's our own fault and it's people like the QAnon people and it's like oh delusional people are everywhere it's not just in the water it's not just american education i see what you're saying yeah i I do see what you're saying but on the uh in addition to that i also feel that like why do we have to have this anywhere in the world and it sucks for everybody yeah but like it's it's kind of nice that it sucks for everybody (laughs) it's not just us yeah like there's not some perfect place because like not every place is perfect because you want to be like oh sweden is like so clean and nice but like not a lot of people are allowed to just move there everybody has their own problems nobody's place is perfect yeah so these groups like these crazy conspiracy theory groups claimed that the shooting never happened but it was all staged by the cia who were looking for a reason to attack pakistan with drones okay which they were already doing thanks obama that's a whole nother conversation well yes yeah so like they didn't need malala to do anything because drone strikes were already happening so like what are you talking about what are you talking about like why are you blaming her for this Mm. seems weird some people went as far to say that malala was an american spy I'm I'm done. Yeah, like never been there a day in her life. But she was a spy. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Others couldn't see Malala as an innocent person, right? And and they still they'll say things like she's a spy, she didn't know when to stop messing with governmental affairs, she brought this all on herself. Sounds kind of like rape culture <laughs> in a weird way. Um, but you know, it's obviously because it must be the woman's fault always. Always. In one of her anonymous blog posts, Yusuf Zai said that she did not understand why people had to marry. So when she got married in 2021, 
people called bullshit. Was she a hypocrite? No, but context is key. So in her blog post, she was talking about child marriage or forced marriage. Besides the Taliban, a child marriage was the only other thing standing between girls and education. Child marriage deprives girls of education, opportunities, and puts them at risk for serious injury or even death if they have children before their bodies are ready. They're also more vulnerable to domestic and sexual violence. And like, literally, did we not just talk about this with Mary Wollstonecraft? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. that, which was two three centuries before yeah the same shit is happening in present day right that that you have to like fight back about this idea of like marriage forced marriage mm-hmm. marriage is an enslavement marriage is but like wollstonecraft she got married yeah because it was part of her choice it was part of being equals mm-hmm. she wasn't like being confined to the house yeah and that's kind of the stuff that mall is talking about you know child brides they don't have a choice in the matter they don't yeah and if you're if you're choosing to marry someone you're choosing to marry them because their qualities match your qualities right Mm -hmm. so like you're not going to marry someone hopefully you're not going to marry somebody who doesn't think that you deserve to be educated or have rights right so like when you choose to marry that person like i'm sure her husband of the cricket board is lovely and shares her values is not going to be like, well, actually now that we're married, I think that you should only be in the kitchen. No other part of the house, just the kitchen constantly making food. Like, well, and that's exactly it, right? Like her concerns were related to unequal marriages. Exactly. Like you're saying, yeah. one of the things she said was traditions are not sent from heaven. They're not sent from God. It is us who makes culture. We have the right to change it and we should change it. Those traditions that go against the health of girls, they should be stopped. And like when she met her husband, you know, as you're saying, she felt like she had found that person who understood her values. Mm -hmm. So she married him. It was her choice. And it really was just that simple. Yeah. So despite her explanation, it didn't stop the very traditional from saying that she'd become too westernized. She was even called out for allegedly flip-flopping on the stance about hijabs. In February 2022, Malala tweeted a story about a Muslim school in India that it refused to let girls come to school wearing hijabs. She wrote, refusing to let girls go to school in their hijabs is horrifying. Objectification of women persists for wearing less or more. Indian leaders must stop the marginalization of Muslim women. This prompted people to pull notes from Yusuf Sai's biography where she stated that she didn't always wear a hijab during her school or school events. She also wrote about wearing a burqa, calling it like walking inside a big fabric shuttlecock with only a grill to see through, and on hot days, it's like an oven. She later said she was glad she didn't have to wear one. Now, these two statements gave people the fuel to condemn her as having double standards and not being a true Muslim. So that article, like I, the this podcast brings me to really gross parts of the internet that I don't like. And I feel like I need to see it to my computer all the time afterwards. But that article, this it was written by a, a like extreme Muslim woman. And she was so nasty in this article. And I was just like, what's wrong with you? Like, don't you understand that like, she's saying that like people should have a choice in this. Like she used it to just condemn everything. So like without getting too far down, like the religious road, I think that we can clearly understand that Islam is not one size fits all. Like it's the second largest religion in the world after Christianity and Christianity itself has many different offshoots. So you have Roman Catholic, Protestant, Lutheran, baptism, Quakers, like they're all types of Christians, but they are all not the same. Like, Think of what, like, your version of a Quaker is. Now think of, like, Roman Catholic. They do different things. They wear different things. So, like, if these religions, uh, this religion could have, like, different traditions and hold different values, like, why why does Islam need to be held to one? Like, why do they all need to do exactly the same thing? Mm-hmm. No, I, exactly. Right? It, it also kind of reminds me of people who are, like, pro-abortion and pro-choice, deciding mm-hmm. that an abortion is not the right choice for them, mm-hmm. Right. What Malala wants here is the option to let women make that decision for themselves Mm -hmm. and not be forced to do one thing or the other. So for her, a burqa is like she's glad that she doesn't have to wear one. But if that is someone's choice, then let it be their choice. If they want to wear the hijab, you know, go for it. Mm -hmm. But if that doesn't fit 
that doesn't mean they're less than. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that they can or can't be educated. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just, I get riled up, right? No, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's rileable. This like, is all I rileable. think about this uh, last semester, I had a few students in one of my classes and some of them wore more traditional full body um, attire mm-hmm. with their hijab. And then there were others who wore like jeans and sweatshirts and mm-hmm. and the hijab. And then there were some that didn't wear the hijab at all. Right. Like all of those are valid. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> makes you less religious or less worthy because you're wearing less or more or more religious or more worthy. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes for, I mean, I would say at least all the monotheistic religions, mm-hmm. right? Judaism, Christianity, fall, like you gave great examples with Christianity. The same can be said for Judaism, right? Yeah. yeah. Orthodox, different levels. you have like cultural, you have mm-hmm. everything in between. Yeah. Like I have the um, Hasidic Jews by me and you wouldn't like... Jerry Seinfeld would never fit into like the Hasidic world, like, but they're both <laughs> Jewish, right? But like the Hasidics are very, very orthodox. Like it's mm-hmm. completely different, but like they all like sit down for like Passover dinner, right? Yeah. You can have different levels of it and still be. Well, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. I, it's, it's so weird to, and this is, this is what it's like being a Democrat, right? <laughs> I could give a shit about religion but I want you to give as much shit about your religion as possible. And I want you to have the freedom to do so. As long as what your belief is doesn't hurt or harm anyone else. Yeah. I, I mean, we said we weren't going too far down the religion road, but here we are. But all right. (laughs) Yeah. Let's get back on track. (laughs) So Malala told Vogue magazine that she covers her hair with a headscarf more when she's outside and in public, but leaves it off when she's at home or with her friends, which would give us a reason as to why she didn't wear it as much in school when she was surrounded by only students, her teachers and friends. Right. And especially when she's in an all girls school, exactly. there's another layer to that as well, Mm -hmm. right? A lot of them will only wear it in the presence of men. Mm hmm. In March 2022, Malala Yousafzai advocated for every woman's right to decide to wear what she likes for herself, from a burqa to a bikini. She said, come and talk to us about individual freedom and autonomy, about preventing harm and violence, about education and emancipation. Do not come with your wardrobe notes. I feel like they needed to be like a... I know, I'm like, I really wanted to like (laughs) snap to that for sure. Do not come to me with your wardrobe notes. I love that so much. So in the same article, she speaks of the criticism that she receives. She's too Muslim and she's too Westernized all in the same breath. Right. Malala commented, some people were shocked to see me out of the traditional shawar kameez I wore for so much of my early life. They criticized me for being too Western and claimed that I had abandoned Pakistan and Islam. Some said that the jeans were permissible as long as I kept my scarf on. Others said that my scarf was a symbol of oppression and that I should take it off as if I could not be fully emancipated until I erase all the traces of my ethnicity and faith. I said nothing. I felt no obligation to defend myself or meet anyone's expectations of me. I really like that. I I respect that a lot. I'm so jealous that like, it's probably taken me 36 years of life to like get to this level of like, I don't give a fuck about what you think of me. Mm -hmm. And here she is like, how old is she now even? Math. She was born in 97. 07, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 26. That's amazing. And every, I mean, you know, she has been through a lot more than I have. So I guess, you know, with people criticizing you constantly, you need to like develop a thicker skin or find out who you are mm-hmm. much earlier. So I'll give myself, I'll give myself some slack. <laughs> but I just think that that's amazing to be so, I know who I am and I don't need you coming at me with yeah. anything about it. She concluded this with, someday I might make changes to my wardrobe. I also might not. But exploring and understanding clothing will remain part of my life, as will defending every woman's right to determine what she wears. I love my pattern floral shalwar kameez. I love my jeans, too. And I'm proud of my scarves. And we love this for her. Women's rights is an ever-evolving battle. People are learning new things about themselves every day. May we all find something new about ourselves worth defending. (laughs) 
The shooting of Yusuf Zai was worldwide news. People were saddened, but they were also angry. In Pakistan, there were protests in the days after the attack, and citizens demanded change. This started the Right to Education petition, which was signed by roughly 2 million people. It led to the amending of the Pakistani constitution to say the state shall provide free and compulsory education to all children of the age of 5 to 16 years in such manner as may be determined by law. The attack put a fire under women who were just looking for an equal education, and they felt that they shouldn't have to die for it. In 2014, the Education the education Youth Ambassadors Program was set up. It included the two girls who were also shot with Malala on the bus that day. Their mission is to mobilize and organize teens to fight for education rights. They write petitions and letters to their lawmakers. They make their voice heard on a global level, keeping eyes on the topic of education to make sure that things are being kept fair and equal. The United Nations had their own petition after the shooting. They used the slogan, I am Malala. The petition's main goal was for every child to be enrolled in some kind of school by 2015. They wanted girls like Malala to have a chance at an education. So their petition had three demands. They called for, one, they called for Pakistan to deliver an educational plan for every child. Two, they called for all countries to outlaw discrimination against girls. Three, lastly, they demanded that all international organizations needed to ensure that the world's 61 million out-of-school children are in schools by the end of 2015. Malala didn't do all this single-handedly, but her fight and her tragedy inspired people to act, leaving a huge impact on the world. Malala's story was moving, so she wrote more. I am Malala, the girl who stood up for education and was shot by the Taliban, and I am Malala, how one girl stood up for education and changed the world, were both written back-to-back in 2013 and 2014. Both were bestsellers. And in 2019, she wrote, We are displaced, my journey and stories from refugee girls around the world. In this book, she tells the story of her and her family being forced to flee their home and start over in a very different and new place. She's also written a few children's books, uh, Malala's Magic Pencil and My Name is Malala, but adapted for Mm. a child audience. In 2014, Malala became the youngest person ever to win the Nobel Peace Prize. And she was named one of Times Magazine's most influential people in 2013. And she's got a day. July 12, 2013 was dubbed Malala Day after she spoke at the UN and called for worldwide access to education. She was only 16 years old. Impressive. So she needed to top her 16th birthday. So on July 12, 2015, on her 18th birthday, she opened a school outside of Lebanon near the Syrian border. It was for Syrian refugees. She was able to do this because of the money that she had raised with her nonprofit, the Malala Fund. Malala Fund's Education Champion Network supports the work of educators and advocates and helps bolster girls' secondary education around the world. Malala Fund is working for a world where every girl can learn and lead. Malala Fund is also working to provide safety. The Taliban has come back into power in Afghanistan and they're up to their old tricks. That makes them sound like they're dropping anvils, but like they're, it's real serious. Like, sorry. They're up to their same, like they're, they're up to the same shit. They're, they're back at it and they're terrible. Anyway, so they've again closed schools for Afghani girls. The Malala Fund is working on raising emergency response support for both evacuation and resettlement of Malala Fund colleagues and partners from Afghanistan. These include several dozen family members, as well as the safe resettlement for about 200 additional Afghani human rights defenders. As the fight against the Taliban resurgence continues, Yusuf Zai urges the international community to stand by Afghanistan by providing humanitarian aid and support. By August of 2022, the Taliban had taken over Kabul. Seeing the familiar pattern, Malala took to Twitter to express concern about the status of women's rights. She fears that all the strides made in the absence of the Taliban might be lost. Just a couple of weeks ago, Oxford University awarded Malala with a prestigious honorary fellowship. On April 18, 2023, she became the first Pakistani to receive the honor, which was awarded to her at Oxford's Linacre College. During the awards ceremony, she spoke about the Oxford Pakistani program and how it's transforming the lives of students and serving as a beacon of hope for students in Pakistan. Malala is looking to educate the world via film with her production company. One of the mission statements is to tell more diverse stories. In an interview, Malala stated, 
you're often told in Hollywood, implicitly or explicitly, that the characters are too young, too brown, too Muslim. Or if one show about a person of color is made, then that's it. You don't need to make another one. That needs to change. Yes. I wholeheartedly agree. 110%. 110%. Yeah. She goes on to say, I'm a woman, a Muslim, a Pashtun, a Pakistani, and a person of color. And I watch Succession, Ted Lasso, and Severance, where the leads are white people, and especially a lot of white men. If we can watch those shows, then I think audiences should be able to watch shows that are made by people of color and produced and directed by people of color with people of color in the leads. That is possible, and I'm going to make it happen. Yes, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, I watched two of those shows and they're good shows, but like they don't need to be as white as they are. That's my, so I've only seen ads for Secession and I'm just like, I'm not going to watch that. Well, I feel like, like Secession. It's a family. So of course they're all white, but like someone could have, someone could have married a black person. I don't know. Like it just looks very like white and rich. And I'm like, no, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not interested in that. Like one. I'm on the fence with like white Lotus. People are like, it's so good. And I was like this cast. Yeah. It's just white rich people. Like I don't I don't need those stories and Aubrey, anymore. And Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> I love Aubrey Plaza though. So that's why that's why I say fence because yes. yeah, I hear I you. I love Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Severance does have more things. people of color but the leads are white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I don't I don't think we need anything more from white men for a little bit. Let them have a little <laughs> hiatus. Just like go be go hang out. Go learn how to play cricket. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways. So my takeaway is like that Malala is like crazy brave. Like that's my biggest takeaway, but also that we need to be brave. Like I think that people don't really consider education. Like we definitely take it for granted here, especially in the moment. Like who wants to be in high school when you're in high school? You just have to get through it. And then you decide if you want to go to college or not. Mm -hmm. But the things that you're learning while you're there, while you're just, you know, getting through it are huge. Like you learn about yourself and what your interests are and your values are. You can compare and contrast that with the people around you. And like, especially now thinking about like how certain states are trying to ban things, uh, like ways that you can learn. I feel like we should be learning more. We should be leaning into education more because those things that they don't want us to learn must be really fucking important, right? right? Like if you're telling me, oh no, this book about this diverse family who like pulled themselves up by their quote unquote bootstraps. Uh, oh, do you not want me to know about that? Why? Why? I, don't know. I feel like if you don't not real, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't know. That's my take on it is like, but there's so many of those stories. I just mm-hmm. like, I get triggered by that phrase, like the bootstraps, the bootstrap yeah. thing, because it just, it infuriates me because it is an impossibility. Right. And, and True. so when we do see those stories of people of color that lift mm-hmm. themselves up, there's also within those stories so much acknowledgement of them lifting themselves up with their community, yes. with their families, mm-hmm. with their like those around them that it's not so individualistic as like white American society and culture yes. makes us think it should be. I think in my... I don't know if that makes sense. No, but. it does. Because in my very shorthand of, of bootstraps, it kind of just means to me, like, you're moving on up. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. But, like, there's a whole context to, like, the term bootstraps. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Oh, wait. Because what I said was not the same to you as what it is to me in my head. Like, I understand It's now. like, oh, you're the Jeffersons now. Like, it, like, the idea of, like, this family could do better and they have done better. And, like, there are stories that are like that, that are important to tell them. They yes. don't want us to hear no, that. So like ignore right. the bootstraps, but like think about like, or just like black history, how like there used to be whole like black towns that existed. And, and they that were, I didn't learn about that until the year fucking 2020. But like, we didn't <laughs> like, even have those kind of bands when we were growing up and we just weren't taught about them. Mm-hmm. So now when we try and teach kids about those, like, like the whole colony of people who lived in like Central Park. Yeah. Before Central Park was Central Park. Like there was a town full of black people who had money. They weren't poor. They were doctors and lawyers and like they got taken out because they wanted to build Central Park. Yep. That's stories that we don't get to hear. Why do they not want us to hear stories like that? Because the idea that like all black people are lazy 
is a narrative that they want to sell. Yes, I understand exactly so, what you're saying yes. now. I like I I just had that visceral reaction. It's the bootstraps. But, I know. But, but once you explained it, I'm like, yes, you're totally right. I get that. I, I think I I'm using bootstraps saying. very sarcastically. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> and like, you didn't get that. But also I was using it super sarcastically. But I just think that like, the Taliban took away education to keep girls home and in the dark and uneducated because unaged, uneducated people are easy to control. So we should aim to be like wildly uncontrollable. Like you should be learning everything. Even it's about cabbages. Yes. Learn about fucking <laughs> everything because they don't want smart people knowing things. Oh, it's exactly the case. And that's like when you think about who people in positions of power target for mm-hmm. the military, mm-hmm. who they target for uh republican ideals right these people like they're looking to say that they're looking to people that are uneducated and uneducated can be a formal education and we know in this Mm -hmm. country that education is very expensive especially higher ed yeah and so not everyone has access to that there are other ways to educate yourself for sure yeah but by not educating yourself exactly what you're saying like the taliban will control you Mm -hmm. but so will the republicans in florida yes anyway (laughs) for me you know malala was a figure that i wasn't sure we needed to cover in that i feel like here in the u.s we've always looked up to her and been proud of her for doing what she's done Mm -hmm. but having a big reputation isn't confined to the u.s perspective right And Malala had a huge reputation in her own country. They tried to take her life because of who she is and what she stands for. She's the kind of big reputation I think we should really aspire to. You know, she stands up for what she believes in. She fights for it. And as you were saying, like, we need that here in our own country. Mm -hmm. The fight to restrict and control education may not be completely gendered here, but it is very real and it targets marginalized and oppressed people. And we all have to stand up together against that. I mean, that's that's when we're looking at these book bans, when we're looking at not teaching about black history, which is what it is. It's not not teaching critical race theory. It's not teaching black history. Well, even the ban for, um, oh my God, they just did it in Florida. DeSantis like shut it down. Um, College board wanted to do a uh, African-American culture, which, listen, that's literally what I do all day at work is advanced credits, like, there's one for everything. There's yeah. one for world history, U.S. history, every language. So, like, why adding one more would have caused these people to lose their mind? Because why don't you want people to know about black history? Well, because if we know about black history, then we have to acknowledge exactly what wrongs we did. Exactly. And if we know about black history, then that's going to open up the door to us wanting to know about Native Latin American, American yeah, history, exactly. Native American history, Asian American mm-hmm. history, you know so much and we we can't do that because the more people know the more open and accepting and uh the more open and accepting they'll be right and and we can't have that that how dare i but you want to educate yourself yes how about some resources and references so i know the power a young girl carries in her heart the extraordinary life of malala by Sirin kale for british vogue Malala Goes Hollywood, How the Stranger Things Loving Activist Wants to Shake Up TV by Minori Ravindran. Class Dismissed, Malala's Story, a 2009 documentary by Alan B. Illick. I Am Malala, The Girl Who Stood Up for Education and Was Shot by the Taliban by Malala Yousafzai. Also, like that title, of course you'd buy that book. (laughs) Like, I don't know who the marketing people were, but they were like, listen, your life was fucking crazy mm-hmm. put it in the title of this book because i would have seen that and been like what insta buy yeah malala is on tiktok she's pretty heavy on tiktok so it's good to see her as like an actual person and not just like a historical figure like she makes jokes and stuff yeah um so it's malala fun on tiktok got it we'll be sharing some of her stuff this week for sure yeah so let us know what you thought of this episode do you have anything to add that we might have left out of the conversation or do you have a suggestion for a woman that we should cover in the future follow the podcast on twitter at big rep pod and instagram and tiktok at big reputations pod send us a message or email us at big reputations pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, or anyone you know looking to learn. Subscribe and leave a five-star review. 
check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we have a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod or just check out the link in our Linktree. Whether you pledge two or five dollars, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. Mm-hmm. Next up, Rupi Cower. Stick around after the episode where we'll share a teaser from that Little Rep episode. All right, let's wrap up the episode. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? So I have one from Malala herself. One child, one teacher, one book, one pen can change the world. Education is the only solution. Education first. Can get behind that, right? And as always, believe women. Ruby often turned to books as an outlet. She expressed an interest in reading from a young age, finding it relieved her loneliness. Poetry especially helped her with feelings of being alone and self-conscious. See, books are your friends. Books are your friends. I love books. I've always loved books. Me too. Like, oh, they're so good. <laughs> I mean, some are shit, but most are good. <laughs> the Beautiful and Damned mm-hmm. is shit. I hated that book. Who was that by? F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, right?